You see that stupid number in your checking account? It's called wasted potential. Now I'm gonna let you in on a little secret about something called the portfolio. And it's not gonna build itself, okay? Without you, it's just another number on a screen. Like a jungle full of bananas and no ape in sight. Well, I'm gonna take you to that jungle. Because in the case of these portfolios, it is gonna be up to each and every one of you. My speculative degenerates, my apes, and of course my apets, who will not hit the cell until your account either flies or flops and dies! Hello everyone and welcome back to Always Picking Electric Securities. It's your host Alex Marku on December 6, 2021. And on today's episode, my plan is to give you an update on all of the holdings I have. I'll also go over the three coins I got yesterday before Sunday night kickoff. And I'll let you know what my plan is moving forward. And then finally to wrap up the episode, I'll give you a very boring lecture on net present value and discounted cash flows. But it's going to be the ending that's going to be more important. Because I'm going to give you a lesson that should have been taught in school and it never was broken down to you quite as simply as this. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Financial disclaimer. Since this is an investing podcast, I will give out the disclaimer that everything I do on this podcast has the potential to reach 100% loss. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm going to give you all a quick recap of everything I have in this portfolio so far. And then I'll explain what my plan is with this podcast moving forward. So far for this portfolio, in the stocks department, I have one share of GameStop, five shares of the ADR version of Computer Share, 20 shares of Super League Gaming. For the options side, I have one option of Cortezyme that is going to be expiring next week on Friday, and my plan is to sell it later this week on Thursday or Friday. And then I also have a Super League Gaming contract that's going to be expiring April 14th of next year. So that one I'll still be holding on to strong. Now over to the crypto segment. I put in $50 worth of Bitcoin when it was at a price of about $64,600. And then for Ethereum, I put $50 worth at a price point of about $4,350. I also got myself 183 Dogecoins as part of this OG pact. Now yesterday I added 3 new coins to this portfolio. And that was 15 coins of ADA, 15 coins of LRC, and 15 coins of BAT. So I now have 6 total cryptos for this portfolio. And then there's the final part that makes up this portfolio, which is the gambling segment. Now for my gambling segment over the weekend, I wound up having 3 round robin picks, and about 7 total parlays. I was able to be profitable on all 3 of my round robins, but none of the parlay picks that I gave out actually hit. And with a combination of my bad weekend picks, the crypto market fall that started last week, and the stock market fall that started last week, my portfolio is finally valued in the negative, at least in terms of the money I initially started with. Now I'm not too worried because a lot of the gains did come from gambling, but I did want to take a step back to reflect on how I was doing things for this podcast, which is what I wanted to talk about next. My plan for the structure of this podcast. Because right now the structure is to have an episode on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. This way I can keep up with an active market. And my goal moving forward will be to still keep up with an active market, 
but to try and produce better content. And the way I think I can try and produce better content is by airing only two episodes a week, which will be on Mondays and Thursdays. I think that by doing this, I'll give myself enough time to do readings for each segment, and this way I can come to the plate with some good content each and every episode, as opposed to just trying to scramble for information to spew at you on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Since this is going to be a long-term portfolio anyways, by breaking down the content at least just to two episodes a week instead of three, I'll be able to focus more in on certain teaching moments and on how to explain certain things better. Because I'll let you know right now, all of the positions I'm holding that I told you about earlier in this episode are meant to be long-term positions. So my plan with these cryptos is to not sell them for another 5 or 10 years. And the same thing with the stocks, or certain ones, I'm not going to be selling them at all. Unless something changes fundamentally with the business models, I'm not going to be looking to sell these shares. My plan on how I'll be making money for this portfolio in the future is to strictly make money off of the gambling, my options, and any future deposits I put in here at the end of the month. For now, I started this Apes portfolio with an initial buy-in of $1,000 throughout the month of November. But now, I'll be trying to raise this portfolio value $100 at a time each month. Aside from that, I want to break down my podcast structure so that by airing only two episodes a week, I can focus more in on certain lessons, and this way I can give you better content. My goal is so that I can at least teach you, or at least direct you in the right way for where you should go if you want to learn about things. And it would be nothing more than just the cherry on top if I could provide you a portfolio that outperforms the S&P 500 or outperforms many other indices. But for now this portfolio management is just for fun and is a way for you to learn off of me. So for this episode in particular, I decided to put a little bit more emphasis on the teaching moment, and I wanted to give you an update on the podcast structure I have, primarily because I'm not trying to stay this active in the market, especially with a portfolio that is this long. My primary focus here is going to be to introduce you to the markets and at least get you interested in them, and I'll be using the Apes portfolio as a way to attempt to show you how you can apply the teachings that I'm giving you. So that's going to be wrapping up the investing and the sports gambling segment for today. Because this week, aside from the episode on Thursday, I'm going to be refocusing on the podcast structure I have. So until next time, my friendly apes, degenerates, and retailers, ape out. Hello class, today's lesson is going to be on net present value and discounted cash flows. But more importantly, it's going to be a lesson about the time value of money. And I'll be using NPV and DCF to show you how as time goes on, your buying power actually diminishes. And before I get to my jaw-dropping numbers at the very end of this lesson, I first need to explain the concepts surrounding NPV and DCF because they are useful factors out there for corporate America, and the discounted cash flows model can be used by anyone. You can use NPV as well, but after you see my example, I'm not really too sure where you would find a use for it unless you were a company. So let me start off with the net present value, which I'll be referring to as the NPV. 
So for starters, the definition of NPV is that it's the difference between the present values of all the cash inflows and all the cash outflows. This is used in capital budgeting and investment planning to get the probability of profits. It's especially used so you can compare certain projects to see which ones you should choose, based on the cash flows you expect for the coming years. And the one thing that NPV takes into account for is the time value of money. Because as time goes on, the dollar today diminishes in the future. And this is primarily due to inflation, but there are many other factors out there. So in short, the NPV method is basically just finding today's value of an investment's future cash flows that are expected. And then with that information, you're able to make a judgment call if it's a smart investment or if you should put your money somewhere else. The variables you're going to be needing to determine to even start using this NPV method is to know what your cash flows are going to be for the certain project or at least have a forecast for it. Then you're going to need to know what your discount rate is, which a discount rate can vary depending on how you want to use it. And I'll show you at the very end of this lesson how I use it in a different way. But typically the discount rate is the percentage of what your loan is termed at, or you can use the Fed's interest rate. But if you use the Fed's interest rate, it's pretty close to zero. And if you're using a discount rate that's really close to zero, you're expecting buying power to not be decreasing in the future. And because of inflation, using the Fed's interest rate as a discount rate would create a really poor NPV model. So typically what you'll want to use is the interest rate on your loan, or you can use a percentage of something else that would be an opportunity cost of something. And if you're confused, don't worry, I have an example. For simplistic sakes, let's just say that a company is trying to choose between two choices. Either to invest a million dollars in the stock market, which, based off of metrics and historical data, they expect an 8% return. Or they can buy a new piece of equipment that'll help produce more revenue for their business outflow. And based off of their forecasting metrics, if they were to buy this machinery, they would expect about $25,000 of cash inflows every single month for the next five years. So that's all the information you truly need to start this NPV method. We have our first cash outflow, which is a million dollars. So we can either spend a million dollars in the stock market or buy this new machine. We have our discount rate, which is gonna be the opportunity cost if we choose to buy the machine. Now an opportunity cost can be categorized as so many things, but in this example specifically, if the company were to choose to buy the machine, their opportunity cost would be any gains that they could have received from the stock market had they chosen to invest in it with that million dollars, which they stated was 8%. So remember how I said you can use the interest rate or the opportunity cost of what the next best options are? Well, for this company's example, the stock market investing is the next best choice they have in comparison to buying the actual machine for their company. And I'm only using two choices for simplicity's sake, but you could see how if a project manager wanted to, they could stack up and line up every single project they have to work on. So let's say you're a project manager and you have 20 projects to work on. You might have 20 NPV models created. And this way, you can get a better idea or at least which projects are going to have more potential in the future. Now because the company gave us the data and monthly cash inflows, I'll be breaking down this 8% discount number into the monthly period payments. If you wanted to avoid that step, what you would have to do is multiply the $25,000 cash inflows by 12 because there's 12 months in a year, and then this way you're comparing apples to apples. Remember, you don't want to compare $25,000 of cash inflows per month with an 8% discount rate that's valuing a whole year. 
because then you're comparing an apple to an orange. And one of them is going to taste good with the skin on, and one isn't. And I've chosen to use the monthly data, just because it gives you a more accurate number without all the rounding. But keep in mind, a lot of this NPV method is relying on certain assumptions. So if one of these assumptions breaks, your whole model is now useless. So what I did to compare apples to apples, is I took this 8% opportunity cost if we choose to buy the machine, and I just divided it by 12. Now there's an actual formula for what you should do, but the difference I got by dividing the number by 12 and using this formula was just 0.03. So I'm not too worried about that small difference. And what I got was 0.66%. So I'll just be referring to the discount rate as half a percent, just to make it easy when I'm explaining this example. So then what you would wanna do after breaking down all of your numbers given to you in an apples to apples comparison, is you would wanna open up an Excel spreadsheet because if you did this shit manually, trust me, this would suck. Because I chose to break this down into monthly data, remember, we're expecting the machine to be alive for 5 years. So this means we're going to have 60 time periods. And for this NPV method, I'll only give you the calculations for what we would need to do for the first 3 months. Because after that, it's a repetitive process that you're going to do until you reach your 60th month. Which is again, why I highly recommend doing this on an Excel spreadsheet, or just use an NPV financial calculator that you can just Google online. Now back to what happens behind the scenes. What you're going to want to do for that first month is take your $25,000 of cash inflows because you're going to want to adjust it for losing value over the time period of that one month that's relating to your discount rate. So since our discount rate was 8% a year, which comes out to about half a percent a month, this means you're going to take your $25,000 of cash inflows and you're going to be dividing it by 1 plus this half a percent. The reason you divide it by 1 plus this half a percent is to show that your value of money is actually diminishing. Because when you do 25,000 divided by 1.0064 and the reason you make it 0064 is because you have to convert that percent to a decimal. And by doing this, you're going to get a number that's less than 25,000. And the number I got was somewhere around $24,800. So what this means is that for your first month, you're expecting your machinery's $25,000 worth of cash flows to be valued at $24,800 as of today, because you're going to be collecting that money in the future. So as of today, the $1 is not actually valued at $1. It might seem like a weird concept. This is the kind of stuff that gets accounted for in these kinds of models. And the way we treat our months 2 through 60 is going to be slightly different because we're going to be expecting this number to be getting lower than 24,800. And the reason is because now instead of dividing $25,000 or just your cash flows by just 1 plus your discount rate, you're now going to add a second part to that bottom equation. What the 1 plus your discount rate is, is now going to be exponentially multiplied depending on what time period you're in. And what I mean by that is for our second month, we're going to be multiplying to an exponential factor of 2. For month 3, it's going to be to an exponential factor of 3. And then for our 60th month, it's going to be to a factor of 60. The reason you want to multiply this bottom number, which is the 1 plus the discount rate, to the factor number of the time period you're in, is because it correctly accounts for the time value of money that you're losing based off of that discount rate you chose. So for our second month, what you're going to be doing is 25,000 divided by 1.0064 to the second power. And for month 3, you do 25,000 divided by 1.0064 to the third power. And you're going to be getting all of these numbers on the side. 
what you're going to want to do is add up every single one of those. So this is why you want to do an Excel spreadsheet. Because do you want to number crunch 60 different numbers? Or do you just want to right click and drag all the way down? Now after doing this, I added every single amount together and I got a number relatively close to $1,240,000. So what you're going to want to do with this information now is you would take this $1,240,000 because that's the expected cash flows for the next five years of your machine that is currently valued as of today using this discount rate of 8% and you're going to be subtracting it from your initial investment. Or you can do the opposite. You can take your initial investment, which is negative 1 million, and you can add it to this $1,240,000. What we get is a positive 240,000, which means that we would assume this project would generate $240,000 of positive cash flows over the five years. And what a company can do is they can compare every single project they have on their desk and see if it's worth it to put their money in these projects or if they should try and risk it in the markets itself. Now, it'd be pretty bold of you to assume that you're going to get an 8% return for 5 straight years, because that would insinuate a 40% return over those 5 years. It would be foolish of you to consider this 40% return as a proper benchmark when comparing the actual return of this project, because the actual return of this project is right around 24% for those 5 years because you just do 240,000 divided by 1 million. So it's not too bad if you ask me. But if you were to compare to this 40% number because you were assuming 8% every single year in the stock market, then you can be misleading yourself into not choosing a positive cash flow project. So remember to tread lightly when you're using this discount rate because it's only used for comparison's sake. This would actually help a company a lot if they had multiple projects to compare. Because even then if you're using a bad discount number, at least you're comparing apples to apples within all of the projects. So if all of those NPVs were negative, well then at least you would be able to compare which projects are worse off and which ones have better potential. So some important factors to take away from this NPV model is it's primarily used to distinguish between which projects should be chosen over other ones. And there are many underlying assumptions we make to create this model. So it's important to keep these assumptions in mind. For example, most of the time, we're forecasting these cash flows. So if these cash flows aren't hit, our model is now flawed. We're also using a discount rate, which if we're using the interest off of our loans, that's okay. But if we're using something like stock market interest or the Fed's interest rate, then it could be misleading for our model if those things happen to change. Now the next thing I wanted to get into is what the discounted cash flows model is. And this is very similar to what you're supposed to do with the NPV, but instead of deeming if a project is worthy or not, all this discounted cash flows model is, is using the exact same calculations as NPV, but its primary purpose is to just arrive at what the valuation of a certain investment or company is worth given their cash flows, or forecasted cash flows for this matter of fact. So with this discounted cash flows model, you're essentially doing the same things as your net present value model. Your first step is going to be to forecast your expected cash flows. Then after that, you're gonna have to find out what works best as a discount rate for this situation. And after you find out your discount rate and have your cash flows, that's all you need. The rest is up to you to just use that same formula where you divide your cash flows by one plus the discount rate to a factor of whatever time period you're at. And then bam, after adding up all of your numbers, you have successfully done what Warren Buffett is a genius at, 
being able to determine a company's valuation by using future cash flows. You see, in the investing world, using this discounted cash flows model is one of the first and basic models taught to people on how you can value companies. Now you could see why it might be cumbersome because you have to break down everything in a company if you wanted to value them, which takes me back to use an Excel spreadsheet. And even though the DCF and NPV are relatively similar, they are not the same thing because the DCF just shows you the value of something at any given moment based on certain criteria, like the discount rate and expected cash flows. A lot of it is guesswork, but it's very useful when you're trying to consider which investments you should choose. And you might ask, why do you even bother talking about this discounted cash flow model if you're going to say the steps required are essentially the same thing as the NPV method, but you don't have a cash outflow to begin with, so you're not really determining if this is a good or bad investment, you're just using it to value? Well, because later on this week, I want to be able to dive into a specific lesson and without you understanding that there's a discounted cash flow method out there that's used to try and value these companies, that lesson would have made zero sense. And I also use the discounted cash flows method to create an Excel spreadsheet that demonstrates a key difference in savings versus investing. So I chose to use the DCF model to show what it would be like if someone were saving $500 each month from February 1st, 2020 all the way up to October 30th of 2021. And I know, I know that this is the timeline of COVID, but I'm hoping that this example I give you right now will make you at least consider what options you have out there in terms of investing your money over saving it. So before I explain my results, let me go into the parameters I created for this module in the first place. So that way at the very end of this, if you say there's no way that's true, you can come back to listening to these parameters and then you can decide for yourself if I was wrong in the way I created my charts. But I don't think I did this wrong, and I used this DCF method to show how inflation really hurts your pockets. I also did a little comparison chart on the side of it to show what would happen if that same person had invested $500 in the S&P 500 instead of saving it over this same time period, February 1st of 2020, which was just before the public knew about COVID, all the way to the end of October of 2021, which means we've definitely been through about seven variants by now. So what I did for the inflation chart is I looked at our consumer price index website to see what the inflation rate was year over year on a monthly basis. So what this means is I looked to see what the inflation increase was for the month of February 2020 compared to February 2019. And what I decided to do for my DCF model and what I decided to use as my discount rate is the average change of that one month period's inflation. The way I did that is I took January's inflation number and added it to February's and divided it by two. This gives me the average inflation increase for all of February. The reason is because this data is posted at the end of the month. So for January's inflation of 2020, by adding it to the February inflation of 2020 and then dividing it by two, what I'm really doing is getting what the average change of inflation was for the whole month of February. Since I'm getting the data from the end of the month of January and the end of the month of February, I want to know what happened in between. So now that you know the parameter I set around my discount rate, let me quickly explain what I did for my DCF model, and then I'll quickly give you the parameters I created for my S&P 500 model. So for this DCF model, I assume that we're going to have 20 periods because there have been 20 months since February 1st of 2020 all the way to October of this year. 
and I assumed that the person was saving $500 every single month. So this means at the end of the month, the person had profits of at least $500 to put in their savings account, and that's where they chose to leave it. And what I did is find out what the average inflation was for just that one month period. Remember back to my company problem when we found out the discount rate was 0.0064? Well, I found out what the discount rate was for the inflation on every single month from February 1st of 2020 all the way to October 30th of 2021. And then I added up all of those expected cash flows. So this might seem a little bit wonky with what I'm about to say next, but the total number I got, and I'm just going to round up to make things easier, was $9,400. What this $9,400 means is that as of February 1st of 2020, if we expected to save $500, which I'm treating as cash flows, and we somehow knew all of the inflation movements until the end of October of this year, then we could predict exactly how much inflation would hurt us. And for this example, since we're under the assumption that we were saving $500 every single month for 20 straight months, that means we should expect to have at least $10,000 in our account. But because of the way inflation has been going, we only have $9,400 in our account. And that's rounded up. So if you want to view this in the terminology how corporate America does in terms of a project, your NPV would be negative $2,500. So this would prove to be a bad project to take because you're going to have negative cash flows in the long run. But this isn't a project, ladies and gentlemen. This is your money that you're saving in your account because you feel that it's safer to save your money and you don't get to see your money diminish like this. Because in reality, your money doesn't diminish like this. But what does is your buying power. And if you haven't noticed, look around. That's why everything seems like it's more expensive. It's not. Someone out there who's been investing in these markets can actually afford the cost of everything without it really denting their pockets. The reason you can't is because if you've been saving your money since the start of COVID, you're already down 6%. But I don't want you to worry and I don't want you to fear. I just want you to be aware of the problem that inflation actually has on your pockets. Because you don't actually get to see how this hurts your pockets. There isn't some inflation screen with your checking account. So it's not like the number in your checking account ever goes down. But what does go down is your buying power. And according to my discounted cash flow model, which is using real data that we know, and I'm pretending that we're in February 1st of 2020, this is a terrible project. And what's this project? Me just saving my money, which is why I strongly value investing. And I'm here to use the S&P 500, which I've stated many times is a common benchmark used to measure in the financial industry. And I'll go as far to state one even further. If you're not sure where to start off with investing, and you're kind of sketch about this podcast and this portfolio, by all means, don't invest in anything I say. Find out how much money you're willing to invest on a monthly occurrence basis, so this means take a portion of that savings number and put it only in the S&P 500. And don't sell that shit for 5 or 10 years. Trust me, it'll be a better project for you than actually saving your money. And I'll quickly go over the model I created for the S&P 500 because this one was easier to create than the discounted cash flows. All I had to do was look at the S&P 500's historical gains from the time period I said earlier. And I did the same exact thing. Because these gains are given to you by the end of the month, I took the previous month that I wanted 
and added it to the current month's gains and divided it by 2 to get what the average movement was for that specific month. So for my S&P 500 model, I made the assumption that the same person, instead of saving, was investing $500 at the beginning of every single month into the S&P 500. By doing this, I was able to keep a little track record to see how they would have performed from the very, very beginning of COVID all the way to October of this year by just putting their money in the S&P 500. Nothing more, nothing less. And even accounting the horrible COVID correction for the S&P 500, had you been diligently investing $500 every single month without worrying about the world, your account as of the end of October would be valued at $10,200. So what you're telling me is, you only put in $10,000, just like the same person did by saving it in their account, but their account is valued at $10,200, and for the person who decided to save, they're valued at $9,400 rounded up. Now remember one key assumption I made in creating these models. I'm pretending that I took a time machine and went back in time to February 1st of 2020, and I knew what the inflation increases would have been and exactly how much the S&P 500 would have gained month to month all the way until October of this year. So even though I'm making this discounted cash flow model for you right now as of December 6th, we're pretending right now we're in February 1st. 2020 and I'm giving you this data. I know it's a little bit confusing to think of that way, but that's the only way you can think of this and make any sense of it. Because it'd be flawed logic if I applied the same discount rate for the next 20 months starting of this year because we don't know if the inflation is actually going to decrease, increase, or stay the same. And then it would be flawed logic again to assume that the S&P 500 is going to keep this pace for the next 20 months. So I use data that we already know just to show you that as of February 1st, 2020, had you saved or invested $500, what your ending balance should look like using the exact same model with the exact same concepts. And you would have seen as of February 1st of 2020, had you saved your money, you would have lost 6%. And had you invested your money, you would have gained a measly 2%. But it doesn't seem like such a measly number when you find out that the investor outbeat the saver by 8%. This means they can now afford these extra gas prices. And even though I want you to get yourself invested in the stock market because saving isn't necessarily the best all the time, I don't want you to take one bad lesson from this. And that bad lesson from this isn't to put all of your money in the S&P 500 all at once because I told you to. Because remember, these are the data and the stats for 20 straight months putting your money in. So what I recommend you do, if you hate the fact that you're losing money behind the scenes to inflation and it's way out of your control, just find out how much money you're willing to invest on a month-to-month -month basis and then use this moving average principle to consistently buy the S&P 500 regardless of the price because you're putting the same amount in each time. And then if you have extra cash flow to throw in, and you feel like the market is down, throw in some more money. Because if you throw in more of your money while the market's down, then in times of prosperity, you're going to have better gains. And maybe your 2% will be doubled. And now my point with this lesson isn't to tell you that saving is pointless, because saving matters. If you're in a situation where you can't invest in the stock market, like I've said in my prior episodes, I've been at moments where I had 3 cents in my account. 
so I wasn't even considering investing in the S&P 500 then. There are certain time periods of your life where saving matters most, but make sure you do your best to get yourself out of that saving mode so you can start investing. Even if it's just 10% of your savings each month, that 10% can go a long way, especially after 5 years. And then you can start upping that number. And the next thing you know, you could be the next Warren Buffett, Kathy Woods, or even me. <laughs> That's definitely a joke. But in all seriousness, what's to stop you from being the next best stock picker? Absolutely nothing. Just you and that little voice inside your head telling you it's a dangerous game to invest. Well, I'm hoping you this lesson taught you that it can be just as dangerous to save. And if you've made it this far, my beautiful apes, I just want to say thank you for sticking around, love you, and until next time, have a good day. If you rely on only savings, it means you really trust your government. 